You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Welcome back to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode... What is this? 422... 423. No, yes, 423. And the ticker just ticked up. Actually, no, I'm looking at a spreadsheet and I lost my place. But it is episode 423 of the podcast. And today is the 4th of July. We hold these truths to be self evident that it is proper to love your country in a similar way to how it's proper to love your family, to love your people, because this country is our country. This land is your land. This land is my land. It's proper for us to celebrate the fact that we have a country. Now, there's plenty of valid criticism that can and should and must be leveled at our country. There is a need to not just say, God bless America, especially if we're saying it in a unconscious, rote, unthinking way. But to consider what does that mean? (laughs) What all is involved in God blessing us? And actually, is it a blessing if God gives us material prosperity and strength and security short-term and yet does not correct us? does not discipline us, does not bring judgment on our nation if we are doing what is evil in his sight. And so what I mean when I say God bless America is I mean God bless us holistically. First and foremost, may we repent of our sins as a people. May we turn from our wickedness, from our sin, from our folly as a people. Now, I can't do that as a people, just myself. I need your help. If you're an American, even if you're not an American, it is wise, it would be beneficial for us to cheer that on and to not kick against the goad. It would be wise and it would benefit and bless the whole world for us as a people here in America to turn from our sin. It grieves me to see that leaders of European nations are criticizing the Supreme Court of the United States for having overturned Roe v. Wade very recently because that is a necessary part of our repenting of evil. But we need to not just stop doing evil. We need to turn from our wicked ways and turn towards God. And we need to pray that God would not turn his face away from us, not give us over to a reprobate mind. If we have become wise in our own eyes, perhaps the best thing for us, perhaps the most blessed thing would would be for uh, us to be humble. Uh, (laughs) Whether that is us humbling ourselves, whether that is God humbling us and us being responsive to his correction and his discipline, At the end of the day, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we, if we are wise, when we say God bless America, we are wanting the grace that comes with humility. We need to humble ourselves before the Lord and pray that God would shine his light on us, that his truth and his justice and his righteousness, and his mercy would benefit us, that we would enjoy his blessings holistically, not just materially, but spiritually, relationally. Our civil institutions, our homes, our churches, our businesses would experience God's blessings, but that requires that we humble ourselves. And for too long, we have puffed out our chests, We have become conceited. We have become wise in our own eyes. 
we think that we are God. And so our turning away from sin is all wrong because we're turning away from whatever we regard as sin and we reject God's categories of righteousness and wickedness, of wisdom and folly. That will not do. That will not do. And God cannot bless that. And he should not bless that. And we should not wish that he would bless it because ultimately, again, as Jesus asks, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And one could ask with regards to if there is such a thing as a national soul, what does it profit a nation to gain the whole world and yet forfeit its soul? But if we are to turn from our sin, we have to turn individually and implore one another. One of the fruits which is foretold and then it is told as being realized with the revelation of the Messiah and the Gospels, one of the fruits that is foretold is that God would turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children, that God would cause fathers, essentially, to stop neglecting their duty to train up their children in righteousness and wisdom. Wisdom requiring the fear of the Lord for a basis, for a foundation. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fathers, we need to train up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is to say, the fear and instruction of the Lord or the fear and encouragement of the Lord. Not one-sided, not a half-truth, but the fact that God is mighty is a comfort to those who take refuge in him, and it should be a terror to those who are ambivalent or hostile to God. These are two sides of the same coin. We should teach our children that, and it should sober us, and it should sober them as well. But on a lighter note, I'll read for you a few of these memes highlighted by notthebee.com, and then I'd like for, I'd like to share with you, I'd like for you to be aware of what we are actually celebrating today on the 4th of July. First of all, there's a picture of George Washington sitting atop his white horse with a saber in his hand, looking very epic, clouds, dark clouds in the background, him in the foreground. Hey, England, have fun at work tomorrow. This was from yesterday, so naturally that is today. Also, here's Will Ferrell yelling out, the holiday you're celebrating only exists because people were armed. An important reminder. So also, there's a very epic picture of George Washington doing some kind of martial arts on a British officer, it looks like, with fire all around. I don't know exactly what he's doing, but he's about to go WWE, I think. There is uh, also, below that one, a meme with a caption, a photo of George Washington clicked on July 4th, 1776. And of course, it's a very serious portrait of our nation's first president wearing a red trucker hat that just says, make America, make America. Uh, Also, (laughs) below that one are a couple of stills from the film Independence Day starring Will Smith. Uh, That is, of course, for those who don't know, the epic film in which Will Smith walked up on stage as aliens were accepting their award and slapped them very hard in the face in front of everyone. July 4th, 1996, never forget. Here's the crop duster drunk flying his jet into the belly of the beast. Never forget, July 4th, 1996. I was 10. Many of you are too young to remember, but we really dodged a bullet that day. Uh, (laughs) Down below this one is a portrait of Joe Biden wearing a American flag bandana, as well as some aviators with uh, the stars and stripes, respectively, in 
his left and right lenses. Behind him is a very stylish American flag in tatters, and it just reads, Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Enough said. Below that is a very famous portrait of the signers of the Declaration of Independence all gathered around in this great room, very sober occasion, signing the document aforementioned, and they all have laser eyes uh, because they're going beast mode there, which is great. Anyway, enough of those. The memes, they are a-flowing, which is good to see. The Wikipedia article for Independence Day has some interesting nuggets. I'll just read for you a selection here, and I would like to then read for you some of our nation's founding documents because how better, aside from fireworks and hot dogs and Lee Greenwood, how better to celebrate the 4th of July than to read the Wikipedia article about Independence Day. Independence Day, colloquially, it's a fun word, the 4th of July is a federal holiday in the United States commemorating the Declaration of Independence, which was ratified by the Second Continental Congress on July 4, 1776, establishing the United States of America. The founding father delegates of the Second Continental Congress declared that the 13 colonies were no longer subject and subordinate to the monarch of Britain, King George III, and were now united free and independent states. The Congress voted to approve independence by passing the Lee Resolution on July 2nd and adopted the Declaration of Independence two days later on July 4. Independence Day is commonly associated with fireworks, parades, barbecues, carnivals, fairs, picnics, concerts, baseball games, family reunions, political speeches, and ceremonies, in addition to various other public and private events celebrating the history, government, and traditions of the United States. Independence Day is the National Day of the United States. For a bit of background, Wikipedia continues. During the American Revolution, the legal separation of the 13 colonies from Great Britain in 1776 actually occurred on July 2 when the Second Continental Congress voted to approve a resolution of independence that had been proposed in June by Richard Henry Lee of Virginia, declaring the United States independent from Great Britain's rule. After voting for independence, Congress turned its attention to the Declaration of Independence, a statement explaining this decision, which had been prepared by a committee of five with Thomas Jefferson as its principal author. Congress debated and revised the wording of the Declaration to remove its vigorous denunciation of the slave trade, finally approving it two days later on July 4. A day earlier, John Adams had written to his wife Abigail, and I quote, The second day of July 1776 will be the most memorable epoch in the history of America. I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. It ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward forevermore. End quote. Adam's prediction was off by two days. <laughs> Poor Adam's. Poor John Adams. God love him. From the outset, Americans celebrated independence on July 4, the date shown on the much-publicized Declaration of Independence, rather than on July 2nd, the date the Resolution of Independence was approved in a closed session of Congress. Historians have long disputed whether members of Congress signed the Declaration of Independence on July 4, even though Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, and Ben Franklin all later wrote, that they had signed it on that day. Most historians have concluded that the declaration was signed nearly a month after its adoption on August 2nd, 1776, and not on July 4, as is commonly believed. Which, might I just make a small comment on that? 
I find that irritating. Why do historians do that? Why, why do they do that? So pesky. Such a pesky thing. We actually think it was a month later, even though the men who were actually there say that it was this day. No reason. <sighs> anyway, by a remarkable coincidence, Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, the only two signatories of the Declaration of Independence later to serve as presidents of the United States, both died on the same day, July 4, 1826, which was the 50th anniversary of the Declaration, Jefferson even mentioning the fact. Although not a signatory of the Declaration of Independence, James Monroe, another founding father who was elected president, also died on July 4, 1831, making him the third president who died on the anniversary of independence. The only U.S. president to have been born on Independence Day was Calvin Coolidge, who was born on the 4th of July, 1872, which is appropriate because Silent Cal was perhaps the last really, truly conservative president we've had. And when I say that, what I mean is small government, not believing that we should just intervene in everything because we can. He was very concerned about setting bad precedents for future generations and he is not given enough credit for that. He was very level-headed and responsible and self-controlled in that way. And he was a man not appreciated in his time, which so much wanted him to uh, be more intervening. He was not appreciated enough, I should say, in his time. Although he could have run again, I think. I think he did not choose to run again for the presidency. He chose to step down, which was also a mark of restraint and self-control. As far as the observance of July 4th, historically, in 1777, 13 gunshots were fired in salute once at morning and again as evening fell on July 4th in Bristol, Rhode Island. An article in the July 18th, 1777 issue of the Virginia Gazette noted a celebration in Philadelphia in a manner a modern American would find familiar. An official dinner for the Continental Congress, toasts, 13-gun salutes, speeches, prayers, music parades, troop reviews, and fireworks. Ships in port were decked with red, white, and blue bunting. In 1778, from his headquarters at Ross Hall near New Brunswick, New Jersey, General George Washington marked July 4th with a double ration of rum for his soldiers and an artillery salute. Across the Atlantic Ocean, Ambassadors John Adams and Ben Franklin held a dinner for their fellow Americans in Paris, France. In 1779, July 4th fell on a Sunday. The holiday was celebrated on Monday, July 5th. How about that? They were concerned to not celebrate on the Sabbath, essentially. Isn't that remarkable? Boy, how the times have changed. In 1781, the Massachusetts General Court became the first state legislature to recognize July 4th as a state celebration. In 1783, Salem, North Carolina held a celebration with a challenging music program assembled by Johann Friedrich Peter, entitled The Psalm of Joy. The town claims it to be the first public July 4th event, as it was carefully documented by the Moravian Church, and there are no government records of any earlier celebrations. In 1870, the U.S. Congress made Independence Day an unpaid holiday for federal employees. <laughs> you didn't even get paid for it. Like, yeah, you got the day off, but better save up for it. In 1938, Congress changed its mind and changed Independence Day to a paid federal holiday. It only took them 68 years, but that's why persistence pays off. Got to wear them down. Took them a while, but like, man, they were really a lot more <laughs> financially conservative a lot more frugal back then. I think that's also why the national debt was not what it is now. Yeah, you can have the day off, but no, we're not going to pay you. You're a public servant. Remember that. Again, we have certainly changed in the intervening years. With it being July 4th, regardless what many historians, annoying as they are, may question in our day as far as when the Declaration of Independence was actually signed. I think I will take the Founding Fathers' word for it that they signed it when they said they did, 
which was July 4th. And I'll read for you today, since it would be weird to read it in a month on August 2nd, the Declaration of Independence. And I quote, In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence, indeed, will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having indirect object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. He has refused his assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good. He has forbidden his governors to pass laws of immediate and pressing importance, unless suspended in their operation till his assent should be obtained and when so suspended, he has utterly neglected to attend to them. He has refused to pass other laws for the accommodation of large districts of people, unless those people would relinquish the right of representation in the legislature, a right inestimable to them and formidable to tyrants only. He has called together legislative bodies at places unusual, uncomfortable, and distant from the depository of their public records, for the sole purpose of fatiguing them into compliance with his measures. He has dissolved representative houses repeatedly for opposing with manly firmness his invasions on the rights of the people. He has refused for a long time after such dissolutions to cause others to be elected, whereby the legislative powers incapable of annihilation have returned to the people at large for their exercise. The state remaining in the meantime exposed to all the dangers of invasion from without and convulsions within. He has endeavored to prevent the population of these states, for that purpose, obstructing the laws for naturalization of foreigners, refusing to pass others to encourage their migrations hither, and raising the conditions of new appropriations of lands. He has obstructed the administration of justice by refusing his assent to laws for establishing judiciary powers, he has made judges dependent on his will alone for the tenure of their offices and the amount and payment of their salaries. He has erected a multitude of new offices and sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people and eat out their substance. He has kept among us in times of peace standing armies without the consent of our legislatures. He has effected to render the military independent of and superior to the civil power. He has combined with others to subject us to a jurisdiction 
foreign to our Constitution and unacknowledged by our laws, giving his assent to their acts of pretended legislation for quartering large bodies of armed troops among us, for protecting them by a mock trial from punishment for any murders which they should commit on the inhabitants of these states, for cutting off our trade with all parts of the world, for imposing taxes on us without our consent, for depriving us in many cases of the benefits of trial by jury, for transporting us beyond seas to be tried for pretended offenses, for abolishing the free system of English laws in a neighboring province, establishing therein an arbitrary government and enlarging its boundaries so as to render it at once an example and fit instrument for introducing the same absolute rule into these colonies, for taking away our charters, abolishing our most valuable laws, and altering fundamentally the forms of our governments, for suspending our own legislatures and declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. He has abdicated government here by declaring us out of his protection and waging war against us. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. He is at this time transporting large armies of foreign mercenaries to complete the works of death, desolation, and tyranny already begun with circumstances of cruelty and perfidy scarcely paralleled in the most barbarous ages and totally unworthy the head of a civilized nation. He has constrained our fellow citizens, taken captive on the high seas, to bear arms against their country, to become the executioners of their friends and brethren, or to fall themselves by their hands. He has excited domestic insurrections among us, and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. In every stage of these oppressions, we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions to our British brethren. We have warned them from time to time of attempts by their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They, too, have been deaf to the voice of justice and of consanguinity. We must, therefore, acquiesce in the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good peoples of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are, and of right ought to be, free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, They have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. From Georgia, Button Gwinnett, Lyman Hall, George Walton, from North Carolina, William Hooper, Joseph Hewis, John Penn, South Carolina, Edward Rutledge, Thomas Hayward, Jr., Thomas Lynch, Jr., Arthur Middleton, Massachusetts, John Hancock, Maryland, Samuel Chase, William Paca, Thomas Stone, Charles Carroll of Carrollton, Virginia, George Wythe, Richard Henry Lee, Thomas Jefferson, 
Benjamin Harrison, Thomas Nelson Jr., Francis Lightfoot Lee, Carter Braxton, Pennsylvania, Robert Morris, Benjamin Rush, Benjamin Franklin, John Morton, George Clymer, James Smith, George Taylor, James Wilson, George Ross, Delaware, Caesar Rodney, George Reed, Thomas McKean, New York, William Floyd, Philip Livingston, Francis Lewis, Lewis Morris, New Jersey, Richard Stockton, John Witherspoon, Francis Hopkinson, John Hart, Abraham Clark, New Hampshire, Josiah Bartlett, William Whipple, Massachusetts, Samuel Adams, John Adams, Robert Treat Payne, Elbridge Gary, Rhode Island, Stephen Hopkins, William Ellery, Connecticut, Roger Sherman, Samuel Huntington, William Williams, Oliver Walcott, New Hampshire, Matthew Thornton. And there you have it. There you have it. This is what we celebrate today. This is what Independence Day is about. What does it mean that they were declaring independence? Well, it meant they were saying, we are going to govern ourselves from here on out because you are mismanaging us and our rights and our livelihoods. We are not happy and this is no way to live. We have God-given rights and you are trampling on them and you are not allowed to trample on them anymore. We are altering our form of government or abolishing it and instituting a new government because this government is not securing our rights and it is not deriving its just powers from the consent of the governed. We do not consent to this. No, 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 no. We have the right to levy war and to negotiate peace and we should like to negotiate peace, but it will be on these terms that we will govern ourselves. And consider also what I read before reading the actual Declaration of Independence about how there were strongly worded phrases here denouncing the slave trade, denouncing slavery, and they were removed. And consider, not first and foremost, that these men were hypocrites, but are we any better? We can't go back in a time machine and fix their hypocrisy, although a strong argument could be made that that has already been settled with the Civil War, the war between the states. The Confederacy broke away, and it was the CSA, and then you still had the Union, which was the USA, and armies fought bloody battles, and many men died to rectify that question. And the result was the Emancipation Proclamation. But for what it was, this here, its imperfections should not be taken as proof that it lacks all validity or that it is not worthy of complimenting, celebrating, enjoying, being thankful for. Its imperfections, I dare say, are far more perfect than much of what passes for government today. And that's part of the reason it's good for us to celebrate this. If we celebrate this and remember it every year, perhaps we will keep it. Perhaps we will build on it in a profitable way and not undo it and not reverse it to where our situation is worse than those signatories were complaining about 246 years ago. We're four years shy of one quarter of a millennium, if you think of it that way. One quarter of a millennium. And many say that the United States is still a young country. Well, that's fine. That might be for the best. When we were still younger, many were able to say it all the more, but we're getting older every year. I don't know that we're getting wiser. I wish we would wise up. But I think that our founding fathers were wiser still, despite their imperfections. Father's Day was not so long ago. And as I've talked about with Father's Day, there is so much a trend to criticize fathers on Father's Day and to only celebrate mothers on Mother's Day. But we don't hear a lot of criticism of mothers on Mother's Day, if we hear any at all. And we might hear praise of fathers on Father's Day, but usually it's the kind that reminds them of their duties as a kind of criticism. Fathers are so important. Please don't ever forget that. 
Make sure you show up. Make sure you're doing your job. Well, the founding fathers and how we regard them, I think, is also reflected in how many of our observances of Father's Day in this country go. All the more do we think of the founding fathers the way we think of most contemporary fathers today. That is, we find fault with them, and we don't think first of the good they've done. We think first of their imperfections. And too many want to eliminate the authority that the founding fathers wielded and still would wield if we regarded them with respect as an extension of rejecting the authority of fathers as the heads of their homes today. I think it's of a piece. We don't like the patriarchy, and we don't like to be under authority. And as Os Guinness says in A Free People's Suicide, we need to rediscover that there is such a thing as both positive liberty and negative liberty. Liberty is not just you being free from anybody telling you what to do ever or placing any kind of expectations on you. No. We certainly know that to be the case with regards to fathers. Now, how about everyone else? We see and we feel the loss when fathers neglect their freedom to be fathers, their freedom to lead their wives and children well and to love them well and to provide for them and to protect them. We feel that loss. And truth be told, if you look at this Declaration of Independence in a certain light, this is an assertion that King George was neglecting his responsibility and he was abusive. And maybe if we thought of Independence Day as a kind of national divorce from a corrupt authority across the ocean, an abusive authority, similar to how we think of some men who abuse their wives and their children, and yes, some women who abuse their husbands and their children, if we thought of it in those terms as the breaking point after a long line of usurpations and abuses, I think we would appreciate more the courage and the strength and the great service done by those men who signed the Declaration of Independence 246 years ago today. I think we would appreciate more and we would celebrate with a deeper sense of appreciation. They were intent on breaking a dysfunctional cycle that had come into being, entrenched itself, and was intractable. There's a whole lot of history that these men were familiar with that we just frankly don't care about because we're short-sighted, because we, to Neil Postman's point, spend all our time amusing ourselves. And even to the point of death, we would amuse ourselves to death if no one stopped us and said, don't you realize where you're going? Don't you realize what's going on? Look up from your entertainment and pay attention. This is your inheritance and you're squandering it like the prodigal son. We are the prodigal country today. And to Edmund Burke's point, we do owe it to previous generations to consider what price they paid, what risks they took, what pain they suffered, what losses they accepted bravely for our sake. Their intention was that we would be a free people forever. That is a bold idea. But it wasn't based on nothing. It was based on an understanding of history and of duty and of logic and reason and truth and God's goodness and, yes, our responsibility before God that we will one day give an account for our stewarding of this fatalism whereby we excuse ourselves for ambivalence, for negligence. It is the antithesis of Jeremiah chapter 29. Even if we are exiles, Christians, even if we are exiles, what city has the Lord our God brought us to in our exile except for this one? And yet we ignore what God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah to his people in exile when he said to seek the welfare of the city to which Yahweh your God has brought you in your exile. Pray for the peace of the city. 
seek its welfare actively. Build houses, plant gardens, plant vineyards, take wives, have sons and daughters, raise your sons and daughters, increase and do not decrease in the land that I've brought you to in your exile. Give your sons and daughters away in marriage so that they will also do likewise, building homes, planting gardens, taking wives and having children, so on and so forth. Seek the welfare of the city. Too many of us don't do that. Too many of us take no thought of even doing that. Their first question would be, yeah, but what does that look like? Well, for one, that looks like civics. For one, that looks like logic and rhetoric and history. That looks like theology being the queen of the sciences again. To where when we read these references to nature's God and all men being created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable qualities and rights, our children know what to make of that. Is it true? Have we even stopped to consider that it's true or not true? Or is it like God bless America? We say God bless America, but we have no time. We're busy. We're on our way to a celebration of the founding of the country that we really couldn't care less about and which we put no stock in maintaining or seeking the welfare of. We're going to celebrate this country kind of like a celebration of life because as far as we're concerned, we're just watching the hospice workers take us down the final stretch. There's a wickedness to that. If repentance and a calling to repentance would bring restoration and we don't care about restoration and we don't care to see a revival. In fact, We've been persuaded by blind guides, a whole lot of Balaam types, that there's something unspiritual about wanting revival, wanting restoration. Or maybe we're like Jonah, booking passage in the opposite direction when God tells us to go to Nineveh. Because we know that if we preach repentance and the city repents, God will turn his wrath away. And that's not what we want. We actually do hate our country, and we want to see it burn. We want God's wrath to be poured out on it. Because God is merciful, we would be disappointed if God delivered us. Tell me this, whose blood is on our hands in that case? If God told us to warn our countrymen and call our city to repentance, and we didn't. In fact, we stubbornly refused to. In fact, we insisted that the most spiritual thing we could do is sit in a rocking chair, sipping tea, and doing all in our power to ignore the devastation, except to comment on it, looking at our watch, something, something about, well, I suppose it's about that time, isn't it? Yep. What else happens to a country when you starve it, when you deprive it of food and water? Yes, it's dying, but not for no reason. And not only because corruption takes the form of men actively doing evil? No, equally or more so because corruption involves neglecting to do the good that we know we ought to do. And God says that's sin as well. And no, you cannot abracadabra, grace, grace over that. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And what are we reaping? What we sowed. In 1779, July 4th fell on a Sunday The holiday was celebrated on Monday that year. Did you know that? I didn't know that. But we're told our ancestors only had a kind of cultural Christianity. Is that to be mourned? Is that to be criticized? If they had some cultural Christianity, what's the alternative? A godless culture? Cultural paganism? And yet we wax eloquent about how persecution is coming. And that'll be really purifying and clarifying for the church. Well, yes, but woe to the one through whom it comes. We should be calling for repentance. And we should pray that the city repents. Because God didn't send Jonah to a specific man, woman, and child in Nineveh. God sent Jonah to the city of Nineveh. Yes, God sent angels to get Lot and his family out of Sodom before he destroyed Sodom. But God sent Jonah to Nineveh to preach repentance 
to the city. Because there is a sense in which a nation and a people together can turn either to the right or to the left, either to wickedness or to righteousness, either to repentance, which leads to restoration and blessing, or to pride and folly and wickedness that leads to destruction. And should we not wish that our country would prefer the one? Last I checked, we're here. Last I checked, our children, our wives, our husbands, our fathers, our mothers, our sisters, our brothers, our friends are here. And yet, we are all suffering from the bystander effect. But it's worse because we're also jealous. Like David's brothers were jealous of David. We're jealous when some have the courage to say, I'll fight him. Also, too, we don't think there ever is a time for war. We think there's only ever a time for peace. Peace, peace. When there is no peace, it is not the same thing as peace, though. It's ignorant. It's foolish. It contradicts the whole counsel of God. There's a time for peace, yes. There's also a time for war. There's a time to embrace. There's also a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to celebrate. There's also a time to mourn. And I think a lot of Americans are mourning, but I am gulled, and I get a taste of gall in my mouth at how we are so content to neglect our duties, our civic duties. We don't think we have civic duties. We deny emphatically that we know anything about it. Even now, with Roe v. Wade having been overturned, we have evangelical leadership, Christian ministers in this country trying to shush and shame those who celebrate the overturning of Roe v. Wade. That is about as opposite a spirit of repentance as I can think of. But it's the ministers. It's the blind guides. It is the ministers of God who do not want revival, and they don't want repentance because they not only benefit from the status quo, they are the status quo, and it's an indictment on previous things they have said and predicted positions they've taken. They should rather half a dead baby than the other woman get a whole live one. And they demonstrate in such moments that they're the whore whose baby died and they stole the other woman's. By the way, as a small aside, I really do think that's of a piece with the Veggie Tales theology that so many of us have where the scriptures use the word whoring. There's nothing untoward or unchaste or ungodly or unholy or inappropriate to use the word that is used there. And the inverse is also true where Jews for a long time avoided saying God's name out of an excessive concern that they would use his name in vain in violation of the commandment. But they tried so hard to avoid saying his name in vain, they baked into the written scriptures a different name, a substitute. Let's take some letters, and we'll know that they are a stand-in for God's name. But we'll read those instead every time we would otherwise read God's name. And then, when English translators are doing the work, deciding what to put this into for the English, they will dutifully observe the tradition and follow suit, and also avoid using God's name, lest we use God's name in vain. So now you find LORD in all capital letters. And yet, we have the gall and the temerity to look down our noses 246 years at the signers of the Declaration of Independence. We make decisions like that and shrug about them when others make them. And yet we have the gall to criticize the Founding Fathers for not having taken a firmer stand on slavery in the Declaration of Independence. Thomas Jefferson tried to write it in, and you can say these men were hypocrites, but so also are we. Maybe they at least knew they were hypocrites. That might be more than can be said of many of us, which makes us worse hypocrites. Who is a worse hypocrite, after all? The hypocrite or the hypocrite who criticizes other hypocrites but doesn't recognize the hypocrisy in himself? Riddle me that. And so also, how much more hypocrites are we when we criticize these men 
for having not confronted slavery. And yet, for us to talk about socialism in our day, and for some of us to say that this is slavery that's being described, this is tyranny and despotism, and the independence we are celebrating today was a war fought against a milder form of the kind of slavery which leftists want us to all be subjected to now. For us to say that is shushed because it might offend, it might upset. You know nothing, apparently, of loyalists in the late 18th century. Let them be offended. Right is right. Let some be offended if it means that others will repent. But again, it's a good thing that we have had this country and that we do still have it. It is not a good thing that we passively acquiesce to its destruction because we are here. And are we a whole lot of mute, deaf, dumb eunuchs? Or are we men? Does not any among you have wisdom to judge these matters? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more so matters pertaining to this life? But here is the damnable thing about it. If you are a Christian in popular Christian society in America today, and you criticize those outside the church, you are reminded that it is not for us to judge those outside the church. But if you criticize those within the church, you are reminded that we are supposed to be unified. And so it's half a dozen, six of the other. Heads I win, tails you lose. It is guaranteed that those who first claim unity get to set the terms on which unity will be had. I say, you want unity, have it around sound principles and not in some nebulous sense around whatever enters your imagination, regardless the outcome, regardless the consequences, regardless the truth or beauty or goodness of what you're unifying around. Can we steward well what has been passed down to us 246 years since these men signed the Declaration of Independence? Can we steward that well and have unity around stewarding that well instead of throwing in the towel? Why do we have to have unity on fatalism? What's next? Dixie cups filled with lemonade, filled with Kool-Aid, laced with some drug that will make us fall asleep peacefully? I suppose there's a kind of peace to that, but that is not the kind of peace that God calls us to, not when he's given us breath in our lungs, blood in our veins. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We do well to meditate on a day like today. What would a spirit of power and love and self-control say to our situation? I, for one, pray for our country that Roe v. Wade being overturned is the first of many similar victories. Please, substantive due process, Justice Thomas, continue encouraging the Supreme Court to revisit that precedent because it was a bad one. There is no right to birth control in the Constitution. There is no right to homosexuality in the Constitution. If there was, it would be a very curious thing that 200 years of American history came and went with no one having discovered the fact, and with so many states and localities having laws on the books against sodomy, that is, homosexuality. By all means, Supreme Court, overturn and repent of your bad ruling with regards to homosexuality and, subsequently, gay marriage. There is no right to homosexual marriage in the Constitution. No. The emperor has no clothes. That is a farce and a combination of laziness, amorality, ambivalence, self-absorption, and corruption. Got that one across the line. I pray that God would bless America with judgment, if needs be, because it would be a blessing if judgment caused us to repent rather than be destroyed. And I think we are in judgment. And I pray that our response to judgment is to turn from our sins. In decades past, not to mention centuries past, we had national days of prayer, not 
to celebrate how pious we are, regardless what we believe about our Creator, regardless what we do, regardless how we relate to Him, regardless whether we obey Him or serve Him or fear Him or revere Him. In decades and centuries past, we had national days of prayer and mourning because we were mourning our sin and we were asking God to forgive us our sins and we were endeavoring to forgive those who had sinned against us. We need those days again. Not because those men were so great, first and foremost, but thank God for them that we have something of their example to remember if we care to remember. And if we don't care to remember, then we deserve every bit of judgment that we get from here on out. But I, for one, am not content with that. And you shouldn't be either. Yes, be humble. But don't mistake humility for timidity and think that the two are one and the same. Timidity is not meekness. Or what will we say? That a man who hides in his bed all the time because there may be a lion in the streets is gentle and meek. That's humility. No, that's you trying to define your own lack of moral character, your own lack of virtue, your own lack of courage, since that's all virtue is, is courage, decency, goodness. You're trying to define those things as something other because it would serve you well, because it would flatter you, because it would suit your purposes. No, no, I reject that and you should repent of that. No, if I'm making it up, then God have mercy on me. But the whole counsel of God is not brought to bear on these questions. And the blind guides and the Balaam types in this country repeat those passages which they think convenient like a mantra. They think convenient because they've accepted their 30 pieces of silver. They are mercenaries like the Hessians. They are the mercenaries brought to our shores to murder us. Except they're not killing us physically. They're killing us spiritually, assassinating sound doctrine and good theology. And yes, good theology would inform our civic duty because I didn't write Jeremiah chapter 29. These founding fathers that we dismiss as so backwards, it is not because we are so humble and they were so proud. No, we have it backwards. They were so humble. That's why they studied. And we are so proud that we think we are so much better. We are so ignorant. But by God's grace, we have access to more information quickly and expensively in every form than people have had at their disposal since the beginning of human history. We can rectify it. We can correct it. We can study. We can learn. We can discipline ourselves. We can make ourselves fit for work. And not just any work, but good work. Good work. If you ask me, the penultimate goal for the Christian should be to hear the words of the Savior. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into your place of rest. And no, that does not mean we worship our country, we worship our flag, we worship the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence. But by God, those things have to have some relationship to our worship of God. And the relationship should not be such that we think the most worshipful thing is to ignore them, to pretend they don't exist, to pretend they don't matter at all, or to pretend the most eloquent spiritual pious, godly thing we could say about them is after 30 seconds thought for the rest of our lives, we dismiss the whole lot with a shrug because that, that is the only alternative to worshiping these things naturally. No, that is simple and not virtuous and we can do better by God's grace. And I pray that we do by God's grace, but it's going to require repentance. It's going to require a turning away from our mode of being as late. For my part, I'm going to go. My brother, my sister-in-law, my nephew, my father are all coming over. We're going to grill hot dogs and hamburgers and have potato salad and watermelon and probably argue about politics at least a little bit. And we're going to celebrate the birthday of this country because this is the city to which Yahweh our God has brought us in our exile. And 
It is a good city, but it needs some work. It's a fixer-upper, if you will. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.